This is a Life School Podcast, episode number 114. And today we're going to talk about redeeming sex with our friend and author, Deb Hirsch. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Welcome to the Life School Podcast, where each week you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality, as well as an integrated faith in every area of life. We say that this is the stuff your parents, your teachers, and your pastors forgot to tell you about. I'm Heath Hollinsby, here with your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Hey Heath, good to be here and pretty excited to have our sister Deb with us. Deb, I have been in love, well, with you and Al forever, but um, this book has just been so... Oh, I know it's blessed so many people, um, but it's it's not just the book. It's really your heart, and it's it's your posture towards sexuality and identity, and just the conversation that's so often uh, we literally like our parents and teachers and pastors did not teach us well on. So I'm really excited about that. I, I I'm gonna guess it's gonna be our most listened to podcast. Deb, can I start us off? Sure. Yes. Uh, your book, Redeeming Sex, came out a couple years ago uh, and was super transformative to many people. I was even reading, as I was doing some research for the show, just blogs and people quoting it. Massive impact for a lot of people. Would you mind sharing a bit of your background on why this topic is something that you're so passionate about? Like, why did you write this particular book? Well, that is a good question. Um, And this is going to sound like the very simple kind of answer that everybody gives, but I really did feel a calling to write it. Um, A number of years ago, or many years ago, you know, back in Australia, I would uh, do a, a teaching series at some of the seminaries there about identity and relationships. And, and a number of my students back then, you know, constantly saying to me, you need to put this into a book. And, and I always had a sense, yes, I would write a book. And, and to be honest, I had a couple of people in different countries even who uh, didn't really know much about me and, and felt that, you know, had a word for me and said that I was going to write a book. So it's been it's been a brewing for a long, long time. So obviously it's been on your heart and you've been speaking about it. And that's why people have been, you know, for years have been asking to write on it. I totally see that. Uh, why was it on your heart to even begin to speak about it, given all the various topics that you could have spoken to and, you know, that people need to hear about? Why, you know, why that particular topic was, were you being called to and kind of gripped by it? Sure. Well, partly it's my own uh, part of my own personal journey. When I uh, found Jesus, or I should say when Jesus found me, um, I was living and identifying as a gay woman, as were a number of my friends, and we all had a, you know, spiritual encounters and ended up, um, you know, some months down the track coming into the community of faith in terms of finding a church home and just realized how little resources were in the church for not just um, understanding um, the gay community per se, but just sexuality in general. And um, I was quite well, we were all quite taken back, actually, um, of the little understanding um, and and just the just even conversations around human sexuality. It seems that I know the church I grew up in too. It, any aspect of sexuality or sex or identity, it was it was tiptoed around. It was not really taught, discussed. It wasn't understood the depth of who we are and humanity and how much that's a part of who we are. It was almost just not even on the shelf. Yeah. Well, that's certainly right. That's what was my experience as well. And it was quite concerning, to be honest. And particularly as um, when I met Al and we got married and went into full-time ministry, a lot of our 
early um, ministry experience and, and some of the stuff that we did really was around a lot of people that were, you know, what we might call, um, you know, damaged in areas of their sexuality or felt felt a deep sense of brokenness about their sexuality. And, um, you know, we worked a lot with male and female um, prostitutes uh, in our with our first church plant. And, and it was a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot of resources to help uh, people like that. And, so we were very, from a very, um, from the very beginning, really very immersed in the whole field of sexuality, and and I went on to, um, you know, be trained as a counsellor as well, and did a lot of counselling in that area. So it was something particularly close to my heart, and and in our our church, again, we were dealing with with lots of uh, sex, sexuality and lots of sexual problems and sexual brokenness. It came out of that really. It seems, you know, it seems easy to say, oh, well, you know, we're looking at a person who has, you know, maybe uh, identifying LGBT or, you know, ge- gender confusion there or a prostitute or something. It's easy for us to say, oh, see, there, there's there's a problem with their sexuality. But I'm sitting here thinking, like, uh, I can remember back to when I was young and a, and a boy and a man and then becoming a dad and all. Is, isn't it true that, that, we, that probably many or most all of us have aspects of our sexuality and our identity kind of broken? Oh, very, very much so. And and I think one of the things over the years that I, I have come to a, come to realize is that particularly, and, and I guess this is more relevant too for today um, in a sense, is, you know, I've come to look at the whole, say, the LGBT conversation as a micro conversation. And I think we get, we get stuck in that conversation because, you know, the church is a bit freaking out and trying to, how do we respond to this and all of that. And I say to people, um, we we, ha- we can't just focus on the the micro conversation. We need to put it into the context of the macro conversation because if we just focus there, we are missing the whole big picture. And the whole big picture is that we are all sexual, <laughs> profoundly sexual, each and every one of us, and we are all profoundly broken in our sexuality. And I find it's too easy for the church to point to the sexual minorities and declare them broken, which frankly, has become a very offensive word to them, and I can completely understand that. Um, so it's important for us to recognize that if we're going to say sexuality is broken in certain individuals, we've got to say it's broken in all of us because sin and brokenness has impacted every aspect of our humanity. Yeah, so it's very important for us to get the macro picture on this because it actually includes all of us in the conversation. It's not just about you know, we point the finger those people over there. It's actually about all of us. We'll never get there until we go to the macro, like you said. No, that's exactly right. So, Deb, uh, a little bit of my story. I come from maybe the flip side of the coin, being raised in the church. And it is interesting, even as you're talking, uh, and the church not being willing to engage in these conversations, maybe it's fear or maybe it's uh, trying to play it safe because it's n- it's never addressed sex is viewed completely distorted, even when they're trying to approach it from a healthy standpoint. So me and my wife, 12 years into marriage, both of us have only been with each other in our marriage, but because we were both raised in the church and and sex wasn't talked about, we still 12 years later feel like, are we allowed, is this okay? Is this, you know, it's, it's scarred every aspect. And one of the interviews I watched, you had mentioned the importance of broadening our definition of sexuality much further than we currently do. Um, how would you unpack the concept of sexuality, and what do you really mean by this? <laughs> yes, well, well, let me just say, as you were talking about your experience there, I thought of a, a quote that I have in my book. If, if I can just read it, I think it's quite a funny quote, but it sums up so much. And this is by Butch Hancock, 
and he's talking about life in Lubbock, Texas. And he says, life in Lubbock, Texas taught me two things. One is that God loves you and you're going to burn in hell. The other is that sex is the most awful, filthy thing on earth and you should save it for someone you love. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, Deb, make sure you email that to me. And I think we have, we'll have to add that to the big three it's just because people are going to want to have that. So yes. yeah, later on when we get to the big three, I'm going to add that. So yeah, no, I'm serious. Like send me that. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, I will do that. Um, How would you encourage us to yeah press those limits and unpack that concept of sexuality? Well, I think um, what we have to do is, I kind of say it like this, we have to rescue human sexuality from being predominantly uh, remaining in the realm of genital sexuality. Um, because when our scripting is such that when we think of sexuality, we, we really, we narrow it and re, re, we reduce everything about sexuality down to what I say, what we do with our bits and bobs, which is just a funny way of <laughs> your bits and bobs. Our bits and bobs. Yeah, I think I would say I, I'd say we're reducing it down to do equals be again. Mm. You know, like it's like it's all about the act. It's all about the bits. <laughs> well, there you go. That's 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 very right, Caesar. Um, so I think we've got to rescue it from there. That it certainly is part of our sexuality. Obviously, I mean, I say to people, you know, it, none of us would be alive today if somebody didn't have sex so clearly it's a very strong link towards life itself um but it's in terms of the way we respond as sexual beings it's much much more you know if we look at sexuality more as our relational side of who we are as humans uh that that includes all of our relationships not just those that might be motivated uh genitally yeah. speaking and and deb isn't there and there's got a there's a deep i know i've heard you talk about this there's a deep a connection between our sexuality and the depth of relationship that God has for us. And that might freak our listeners out right away, you know. Um, unless we broaden our understanding of our sexuality, how do, we, how do we actually embrace the depth of relationship that God actually has for all of us? Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly right, Caesar. And I think you're, you're tapping into something here that is, you know, an increasing concern for me too is because I think, um, I think our, our sexuality is we, we miss a lot of the connections between our sexuality and our spirituality. You know, if our spirituality in the you know in the broadest, biggest sense of the term is our longing to know and be known by, you know, what I call the the capital O other beyond us. You know, that we as believers name and uh, as as you know in Jesus we name God, who we come to know in and through Jesus. And I think our longing for God. Um, you know, the, the, that is mirrored in a sense in our longing for one another. And um, and I think that, you know, in the church, we, you know, we, we limit a lot of our depth or intensity of feeling and emotion to the marriage relationship, which kind of, you know, is problematic on multiple levels, um, not the least that, you know, our, our singles are not taught to feel deep or to feel passionate about others um, because that's reserved just for marriage. And I say no. God has created us as people to have a, a depth of um, a depth of longing and, and a depth of passion. We feel deeply as people, and I think Christians don't feel deeply enough. Actually, I think we're not passionate enough for one another, and I think passion again goes beyond just the genital connection. And talk about again the the micro conversation. We we have so often, and myself is you know I'll put myself on that list. We reduce the conversation about sexuality to sex. And, and then we want to argue about, okay, is, is it supposed to only happen within marriage when we don't even really understand our sexuality 
And so there again, we reduce it to the act and go, well, that act happened outside of marriage. Well, well, why though? You know, like what's, what's broken in our identity and, and, and our longing to know, know God and know intimacy, true intimacy where, where there's no fear, we could actually be naked and unashamed. But we, we have been there again trained to say it's the act. And that's like, you know, I, I'll often say, Deb, like God's not sitting up in heaven on a throne and he's just freaking pissed off because your neighbor's having sex with his girlfriend. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, no, he, his, his, he cares about it in this, that you're not, you don't understand his heart for you and you don't understand who he's made you in his image to be in the depth of relationship he longs for you to have. And so it breaks his heart that you're trying to, trying to fit everything else in instead that that's what he's concerned with not the act it's the heart behind it and you know imagine if we thought of you know we we christians have this tendency to look at the broader world as all these people you know kind of pursuing sex and sexuality and you know trying to you know have all these needs met and we look at it you know in a in a negative and i say from a missional perspective just you know think about what if in humanity's explicit search of sex is an implicit search for God. Oh man, that's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, in the in the, in the Chesterton, you know, J.K. Chesterton uh, uh, suggested that a man knocking on the door of a brothel was actually looking for God. So, what you know, what is what is going on there? And I do think our our human longing for one another is a reflection, you know, of our greater longing for God. So imagine missionary if we if we started thinking of it like that, it would just we would be less likely to judge people and more likely to see the God traces in in their lives and the God longings in their lives. You know, Deb, um, I think what you're saying, you've said like three or four things that are really, really powerful uh, in our search. Yeah, dropping for, bombs today. Yeah. yeah, I can't keep up. Uh, one of the things that you had mentioned was, uh, especially in the church, uh, you've called the church to develop more of a robust sort of theology of sexuality and maybe even saying that we need to create a new language or inject new meaning into some of the concepts we have. Uh, what does this look like and sound like? Do you have any examples of this? And is this going to freak people out? Well, the church already gets freaked out <laughs> by sexuality. So I don't, um, maybe I freak them out a little bit more with my, the way that I communicate about it. But honestly, I think we, we need a good shakeup. So I think the first way is that we've just got to talk normal about this stuff. You know, still we we don't have a language, or we're not we we don't know how to talk about it. Number one, because we've still got this weird cloud of taboo that hangs over all things sexual, and so we still kind of talk about sexuality like this, you know, or in very very rigid legalistic ways. There again, sort of reducing sexuality to the act, not not the person. Yes, and like this naughty thing, you know, that's kind of done behind closed doors and with lights off. It's just. Again, you're exactly right. We reduce it to that, and it's all this kind of negative uh, stuff. So I think um, we've we've got to be able to talk about it more freely, more openly. And I think this is where I'm seeing such a great gap between the generations at the moment. When I'm talking with younger people, they say it as it is. <laughs> they just say it as it is. And yet when you get them inside the church context, among one another, they might still say it as it is, but it's not, you know, they don't talk about it like they would with me, like they would with uh, other people in the church or with, you know, certainly with their parents. And and so I think there's a there's a gap going on there. We've, we've got to play a little bit of catch up there. Well, there, there's also a cultural, I think there's a cultural freak out. Like, I mean, you, I'm sure you've had this happen, Deb, uh, having been, you know, full-time pastor, he's a pastor. It's like, um, 
even people who are not inside the church, those who may not count themselves Christians, follow Christ, um, they'll say things connected to sex or their sexuality and then apologize for it. Yes. Yeah. You know, be like, oh man, me and my girlfriend last night were really get. Oh, sorry, pastor. I forgot. You know, it's like, yeah, I we know, don't use those words. <laughs> uh, we, we don't use those. We don't talk about sick. Can I, can I say penis? Is that okay? If, you know, pastor, father, you know, or something. it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, well, you have one. I have one. I guess we can talk. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's very true. Well, how does the, Deb, how does the church get, um, you know, uh, a new language when we don't have it yet? It's kind of like saying, well, we, we suck at English, so let's just make up a new, you know, how do we help? You know, how do we help? I, I think I love what you're saying. Like we got, we have to start talking about it. We have to get it out and open and, and, and not just reduce it all the time to the act alone. And the, what'd you say? Bobbles and bits, bits and bobbles. <laughs> bits and bobs. Bobs, bobs bits yeah. and bobs. Okay. Bits and bobs. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, again, it's, we've got to normalize it. I think uh, Caesar, it's got to be normalized. This is not, um, this is part of who we are. We, we have longings, we have desires um and again it's not just limited to the genital you know I often say to people I've been in love with more people than I've wanted to have sex with um you know we so we've got to we've got to start naming some of that we do get drawn to certain individuals and it doesn't have to have anything to do with sex but what does it mean to be able to emotionally bond with others and again you know this taps into all of the stuff in the church around you know boundaries between you know the two different sexes um, and, and again, I mean, I don't even want to, I can't, don't have the time to go into it, but even just the two different sexes, we've got to really catch up a lot with what's going on in broader culture regarding gender and all of that as well. Oh, let's have you back and let's talk about that, huh? Let's yeah, talk that's about gender. A, that's a big conversation right there. I, I often say to people in the context of the church, that's one conversation we don't really get is the gender conversation because we're still fighting over what roles men and women should have. We're broader society is completely redefining what it is to be male and female. <laughs> so. You know, it's something that even as you're talking, I'm, I'm convicted uh, of how you, it's, it's sort of what you're saying. Like we tend to be late to the game in any conversation. The church tends to like, as a whole, disregard the conversation until it's the forefront of cultural engagement. And then we come across as angry and frustrated because we haven't thought through it. We've seen it with the abortion issue. We've seen it in gay rights issue. Like, the church stays really quiet, and then all of a sudden, freaks out. We lose our minds because we're thirty years behind because we haven't paid attention to, or or welcome. I feel like the church needs to be leading those conversations, wouldn't you say so? Oh, absolutely. We should be leading the, these conversations on every level. Um, you know, God was the one that came up with the idea of male and female. Um, God was the idea who came, you know, the one that came up with with the orgasm for goodness sake. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Thanks for it inventing was- that. God, <laughs> super thankful for that. But it, it does highlight something. I'll, I'll never forget years ago when Alan did a, a wedding and um, he was, you know, you know what a wedding's like. It's a very formal uh, situation. They're up the front of the church and he's, I'm, you know, I tune in and out to my husband sometimes. It's just the way it is, isn't it? What? What? <laughs> but I Tina, tuned in. I'm going to ask Tina a question now. <laughs> no, yes. But I tuned into him when he was, he was actually saying, wouldn't you like to meet the God who created the orgasm? And it was one of those moments where I clutched my pearls and thought, oh, my gosh, did he just say that? We're at a wedding. And, of course, he thought it was perfectly normal. It's a wedding. You know, things are going to happen that night. And But um, <laughs> the fascinating thing for us was, you know, there were some Christians there that were offended that he used the word God and orgasm in the same sentence. And yet all the non-Christians were lined up afterwards wanting to talk to him about the God who created the orgasm. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, again, we get funny about using those words, but again, this is our God's idea. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? Like, I'm just sitting here listening, Deb, and you talk about it needs to be out in the open. It needs to be more normalized. Of course, God created it. He creates it all good. It's for our pleasure and yes. his glory. And I remember when we were raising our kids, you know, we, we didn't do everything right, certainly as parents. But one of the things that we kind of early on talked about, Tina and I, was that um, we're going to normalize that conversation. Like, it's not going to be like the first time we talk about, you know, uh, our private bits, you know, our, our you know, our, our genitals is going to be like when they're about 12. And then it's like, nope, we're going to talk about it. And if that way, if anything is a problem, they have questions, anybody's messing with them, uh, their identity is connected to it in some like shame or weird way. We're just going to normalize the conversation, both from an identity standpoint uh, a physical standpoint, a pleasure standpoint, everybody has genitals standpoint. And, and, you know, I think it, it's, it really was exactly what was needed. And I think it's, it's kind of like, I mean, we, we often say that, that discipleship and, and really leading church is kind of a reparenting of the culture, so to speak. So yeah. th that's yep. kind of how I'm connecting it. Yep. No, that's very true. And, and again, today, you know, you've, parents ask me all the time, when should we start talking about it? And I say to them, when they start asking. I mean, it's the, the, the reality is, is, is the world is educating uh, very, very early. And we, again, we're behind on that. So yeah. I, I think you're right, Caesar. We've, we've got to be way more open and normalize it. And so, so parents don't have the talk with your kids. Just talk with your kids. Yes, <laughs> that's, good, that's right. right. That's exactly right. So, so Deb, um, as we kind of start to move towards wrapping things up, let me let me ask you a question. And you're such a sweetheart, but I want you to be really super honest here, because if you know, if we need a bit of a, you know, kick in the rear, that uh, let's go for it. But what's one thing that the church really needs to hear regarding sexuality right you know today, and you know. What's one thing maybe the church thinks they understand, but they really don't? Maybe that's the same thing. I don't know. Well, I think gender is definitely, um, I think definitely that. I think that still many people in the church assume our gender is our biological sex. They don't see the, the difference there, which is, again, why our response to broader culture is, um, is well, woefully inadequate. Let me say it that way. Um, so that's one, but you know what, the other, the other one I think that is really important too, and, and this goes back to the earlier question about how we can bring in, you know, new meanings or new concepts or, or new meanings to old worn concepts. I think the whole issue or the whole conversation around celibacy is really, really important. Um, because at the moment, those that are walking the path of celibacy or attempting to or, you know, our singles, both straight and gay, um, you know, really feel like they're, they're locked in a lifelong, um, you know, prison sentence in solitary confinement. There's a whole lot of negativity around that, that it's kind of like a burden that they have to carry. And, and yet there were different times in church history where I think celibacy was seen as the highest spiritual ideal. And it was like, oh, if you have to, get married, in a sense, and I think... That's right, that's right. Paul said that, didn't he? Yeah. And so I think today we need to have, a, we need to create a much more healthy, positive conversation around celibacy um, and also what it, inter what it means. You know, we're talking about people being single. What does it mean to be single within the, the church of God? And I think... And still be a sexual being. And still be a sexual being. And again, that's where we need to expand our understanding of sexuality. 
because it is not just about you know having sex it's a, it's about having a uh, relationships that are deep and that are soul filling you know for us on multiple levels and um and I think you know when we begin to have more positive conversations around celibacy we get to bring Jesus into the conversation who was a celibate man who whose call was not to be married so therefore genital sexual expression in that sense wasn't um in a sense available for Jesus uh, because of his distinct call so he needed to kind of really engage or uh, the whole world of his social sexuality in order to sustain his full humanity and I think he becomes then a very viable model uh, for those that are walking the path of celibacy um, but it also is is a conversation that impacts all of us because in the in God's church I don't believe there should be any such thing as a single person we are we ought to belong to one another and so it raises questions around redefining family what does it mean to belong to one another? What what was Jesus talking about when he redefined family? And clearly it says that Jesus was fully God and fully human. It wasn't like, well, mostly human. And, no, but, yes. But he, but he was celibate, so, you know, he kind of missed out on a big part of that. So it's like, no. Well, well, that's right. And and so and I laugh because, I mean, in our broader culture at the moment, you know, celibacy is seen as suspicious at best. You know, usually it's like you're either suppressed or you're repressing something or you've got psychological hang-ups. And I think, oh, you know, no, I don't think people would be brave enough to say that of Jesus. You know, he, here he was, a fully human man and fully whole and healthy. So um, he definitely needs to be brought back into the sexuality conversation. Hey, just to make sure it's been said a couple times, because, wow, Deb, we could we could just keep talking and talking. I, I want to make sure people do go and, you know, get online, go to the store, whatever, get your book, Redeeming Sex. And I love the subtitle, Naked Conversations About Sexuality and Spirituality. Boy, if that doesn't make you want to read it. So make sure you get that. Um, Heath, where are we going? Yeah. Now? So Deb, as we close, uh, thanks for being a guest with us. This, we hope you come back. We've got, it sounds like, um, this is just starting to crack open the chest of where we could have conversations about, uh, gender and sex and the LGBT community. So I think we have a lot more in the future, but as far as this current conversation that we've had, we like to close each podcast with like three things that we can give away to our friends uh, based off the discussion that we just had. So this could be advice or action steps or something that they get to do right now. And we call those the big three. And if you're driving at the gym or you're listening to the podcast on the train or something and you can't write it down, you can go to 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 114 to receive today's big three. Again, that's 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 114. Deb, what would, you, uh, what would be your big three for this week? Well, I think read the whole conversation. That's you know, particularly um, again as as believers, we we have a bit of an inconsistency or an imbalance in the church as what we call sin. <laughs> I think um, I think for for most of us and most communities of faith, when we're talking about sexual sin, we are they're the ones that seem to be the sins that are on the top of our totem pole, if you like, the more important ones. Um, so I like to say to people, first and foremost, you know, why are they up on the top of the totem pole? Why do sexual sinners always feel like the ones that, you know, are never forgiven or they've always got, you know, they wear the kind of, you know, the shame, I guess, on them. So just be a bit more consistent with what we're calling sin. God doesn't rank sin, right? God doesn't rank sin. God does not rank sin. So, you know, be careful with that. I think that's really important. Get perspective there and um, start paying attention. If you're going to call one sin out, make sure 
you know, you're focusing on other things as well. Look look to Jesus as your model there. You know, what were the things that were important to him? I've often said, like, we, we will jump on that and, and, you know, marginalize people and just really go after that and then leave the church service and go to the all-you-can-eat buffet. And, you know, we know that, like, two-thirds of America is overweight or obese. And it's like, but no one would ever say anything about it. You know, it's like, like what? Okay, so, okay, that's a that's a great first of the big three. What's your second uh, big takeaway for us, Deb? Well, I think most of us draw our sexual ethics, in a, in a sense, when we're looking at the New Testament anyway, from Paul. And if you read Paul, he says some pretty strong things. There's no uh, denying that. Um, and they're important things. But I say to people, when you when you read Paul and you're developing your sexual ethics, read don't read Paul without taking on the posture of Jesus. Um, and I think we can say that for for all things, obviously. But I think Jesus, when you know, we there's a few encounters there that he has with people that we might call sexually broken. You know, the woman caught in adultery is the classic one, my, one of my favourite stories. Look at his posture there. There's something so deeply incredible and accepting of Jesus. And I think what he shows us is that acceptance must precede repentance. Um, In the woman caught in adultery, he says to her, after he levels everybody, which is just beautiful, he then says to her, you know, uh, your, your accusers have gone, or she tells him her accusers have gone, and he says, neither do I condemn you. There's a words of deep acceptance. It's the open arms of Jesus uh, first and foremost, before he says, now go live your life of sin. And I think in the church, we've reversed that order. We, we kind of communicate to people, go live your life of sin, then we will accept you. Uh, with Jesus, it's the other way, because Romans tells us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So model the posture of Jesus. Don't miss, don't miss, acceptance precedes repentance. Wow. Yeah. Okay, number three. That's so good, Deb. Wow. Well, just, I think for number three, really just begin to bring grace back into human sexuality. I think our sexuality of all of who we are, our sexuality has been the le- the least area that we have graced, um, particularly as a church. Um, so I, I just say to people, do you know what, when we mess up sexually or when we're broken in areas of our sexuality, this is, our sexuality is our most vulnerable part of who we are, isn't it? It's where we feel our pain. It's where our longings are felt. It's our desires for intimacy on genital and non-genital ways. Um, and I think that we all feel a sense, especially when we do uh, sin and when we are broken, there's, it's very easy to get a whole, to have a whole lot of shame that begins to surround us. And I think shame is not good for the human soul. <laughs> it's not good at all. And I think we must bring grace back into a a disgraced area of our lives and I think um, in doing that I think you know there will be a it'll be a different church wow there's there's no shame in the gospel and there's no should and there's no supposed to Um, we in Christ we get to or we need not and it's it's beautiful Deb thanks for that reminder wow yeah if you want to uh, receive the big three takeaways and I don't understand why you might not want to because they were brilliant this week uh, you could get those by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 114. Again, that's 123lifeschool.com forward slash episode 114 for the notes for this week's big three. And if you're liking the podcast, be sure to head over to iTunes and you could subscribe to it. You could rate the show, write up a review. That helps us uh, be able to get these conversations out to people that might not normally hear it. Apple looks at what we're doing and says, hey, let's uh, broadcast this to a whole new group of people. So that's helpful. And then also on Facebook, uh, we have a new growing community 
Uh, if you just go to Facebook and search for the Life School Podcast, uh, we're on there starting to have bigger discussions that we can't get into just on the show, but uh, offline, and people are engaging that. So uh, those are some great ways you can interact with this podcast. Deb's book, Redeeming Sex, is available on Amazon. Uh, go get the book. Get the book. A great read. Again, Deb, thanks so much, sister. Thanks, guys. Lovely to talk with you both. Yeah, we hope to see you next week on Life School Podcast as we talk about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and what true reconciliation looks like. Uh, We hope that you'll join us. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit 123lifeschool.com forward slash podcast. 